0: Post-modern and post-Christian are both terms that the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out, an alternative way to live is to live it's by It's almost heaven. like raising a white flag and saying, Ah, oh, it's all the secular people's fault and so no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic.
1: How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church Podcast is all about. Adventism redesigned. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Story Church Podcast. This season has been an absolute absolute blast so far and i just want to give a shout out to everyone who's been tuning in checking the episodes out sending in questions interacting with the content sharing it on social media uh, it's been it's been incredible it's been really really incredible and of course a shout out to maxwell Aka who actually joined me on this journey it's been a lot of hours uh, out of his own personal schedule. So make sure you reach out to him and thank him for uh, for putting his heart out there and being willing to do something like this. and, um, yeah, and share with us a different way of thinking about the whole music wars uh, that, yeah, it's been it's been happening for a long time in our church. And as we've said repeatedly throughout this season, uh, this isn't really, about telling people what kind of music they should listen to or um or not listen to we're, we're not here trying to prescribe how churches ought to do or ought not to do worship what we want to do is tackle the worship wars not so much because of the issue of music but because the worship wars are symptomatic of much much deeper issues and we've explored some of those in this podcast season so far, and we're going to explore a few more. So I'm going to um, close the introduction out there and and uh, flip over to my conversation with Max, where we left off last week. We're going to dig a little bit deeper, explore a little bit further, and uh, yeah, really just invite you guys to uh, to to sit back and relax and and listen in, enjoy the uh, enjoy the episode and the further conversation that we have. Now I did wanna just add that um, if you do have any questions or something that you want to hear addressed um, or clarify, feel free. Feel free to leave a question in the comments or to message me at thestorychurchproject.com and say, hey, I've got a question about the Nar series. Um, can you tackle this or that? And uh, we'd be more than happy to. There's still more that we're covering. We've got a few more episodes coming out, including uh, toward the end, we're going to be talking about Ellen White and her relationship to the whole um, worship war thing. So that is going to be radical, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to be cool so um yeah but if you've got anything anything that you want to address maybe not that because we're going to talk about that toward the end uh but anything else feel free to message me okay guys that is it i'm done i'm done yapping uh let me flip over to our conversation now and i'll catch you on the other side absolutely you know this reminds me of a conversation I, i had some years ago um at a, at a church, I was doing a youth program and there was a, um, there was a question that was asked about, you know, like what kind of, um, content we should consume Mm -hmm. entertainment wise, uh, whether it is we're reading or watching or listening. Um, and of course the conversation quickly went to, you know, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are Mm -hmm. pure. Of a good report, think on these things. And so I, I missed a few lines from the verse, but you know which one I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Philippians 4 8. Um, Philippians 4 8. And, and I asked everyone in the room, does everyone agree with this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like in every single case, yeah, absolutely. We should only ever consume content that matches this verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so then I said, okay, so what if I gave you a book? And in the book, one of the main plot lines, is that a woman is raped and after she's been raped her body is cut into pieces and the pieces are mailed out through the country to different you know to different parts of the country as a as a as a political statement you know I suppose Mm -hmm. that's one way of looking at it Um, is, does that book match Philippians four, eight, and I could see the faces in the room struggling because everyone wanted to say no, but everyone knew I was talking about the book of judges in the old Testament. Right. So it's like, all right, right, how about a book about a King who gets the hots for his general's wife? So he assassinates the general in order to take his wife from him. You know, it's like, no, yeah. that sounds like a terrible worldly soap opera, dude. That's the story of David, you know. So, right, th- that's the problem. I think is generally if if you if you take that at face value, black and white, mm-hmm. then uh, Philippians four eight for example, how much of the Bible itself can you not read because yeah. it's not all lovely and it's mm-hmm. it's not all good repair and, and it's not all pure and noble there's a lot of ugliness and mess and mm-hmm. you know some of it borderline just disturbing yeah um and so you really have to contend with that and and i think that tends to be my struggle because i, I want to bring back the idea the main theme that we're sort of orienting all of these thoughts towards which is post-church mission yeah. as a church um when we and we see this reflected in the worship wars but i think it's obviously deeper than the worship wars it's a part of our expression as a church altogether is that mm-hmm. there seems to be a an, an edge of the emotional spectrum of humanity that we're comfortable with and then there's the rest of it we we want to discard or repress or tuck away um and and so what that does then it it, that that might express itself in our in our worship scenario right or in how we talk about entertainment or you know um the consumption of of ideas but when it boils down to what kind of community do you create when everyone is surrounded by this general mood that there's a aspect of the spectrum of emotions that we can embrace and then the rest of it we have to repress what you end up with is communities of people that are fundamentally inauthentic right because they don't know how to express the full spectrum of emotion and they don't know how to inhabit a space where that full spectrum of emotion is welcome and embraced Mm -hmm. in a healthy way and so what we end up with is these phony communities of people where everyone shows up with their sabbath face Right. And they walk into the church, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Happy Sabbath, you know, with their Bible under their arm. But they just had right. the crappiest week of their life, right? Mm-hmm. We we don't know how to live within the full spectrum of emotion. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes then very easy and very convenient to not really wrestle too much with the parts of the Bible that contradict our sort of, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, our heavily filtered... Um, high class Eurocentric way of expressing ourselves. Because the Bible doesn't match that. You know, like you said, David in the Psalms, you know, where he's he's talking about, you know, he's in, 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 in some of his Psalms, he's asking God to like, slay his enemies. Right, you know, like this doesn't match Jesus. You know, pray for those who persecute. Like David is like, you know, slay my enemies, and you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 the way that he uses the language that he uses is heavy, heavy, heavy. And yeah. we see this, you know, in in the Psalms. We see it in, um, uh, like you mentioned, Jeremiah, and a lot of the minor prophets, and there's a deep protest mm-hmm. within the prophets. In 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 a lot of their writing, right, mm-hmm. and 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 this is a point I'd love to get your thoughts on this. There's yeah. a deep protest embedded within their writing. I remember I was I think it was Nicholas Miller who I interviewed some years ago who said um, worship in the West of the is the worship of um, thankfulness or celebration, mm-hmm. whereas worship. In the east, or in in you know in um in, thir- in the more third world scenarios, is the worship of lamentation. So we tend to see worship as we're coming to give thanks to God. And they tend to see worship as we're coming to express our agony because this is what helps us survive. It's just, it's just right. unleash all of this pain and all this anger and all this frustration at the injustices that we face. Right. Um, and, and you see this throughout scripture. You see this full spectrum of emotion and you see this protest of the nations and their injustices, you know, read the book of Habakkuk for crying out loud or man. Yeah, that's habakkuk, heavy
0: so. stuff you know yeah. interesting <laughs> the, the, with habakkuk um sorry I, I cut you off there but go for it go it, for it yeah it, it came it came to my mind with habakkuk um chapter three is a song of its own right like it gets mm-hmm. its own superscript and title within habakkuk so it's identifiable as its own song and it kind of breaks from the first two chapters right mm-hmm. and it's interesting uh the word that it's used there is like the song that Habakkuk wrote according to, or like on the theme of Shigayon, right? Um, I did a paper on this in my undergrad, so I have all this useless information <laughs> in my head, but it's, it's a term that's only used twice. It's in Habakkuk one time and in a, a Psalm, right? One of the mm. Psalms. Um, and it's kind of, it's one of those Hebrew words that's like not entirely clear. It seems to possibly have something to do with like shaking or reeling, mm. like mm. just like, vigorous agitated movement of some sort um and you know in my analytical scholarly mind i'm like okay so this is some kind of song that is very lively and in both cases it it's kind of like god thrashing and destroying through the earth and overthrowing his enemies and stuff right and Mm. in habakkuk's mind probably like you know sending the chaldeans packing you know, yeah, because like they're yeah. about to send us into exile. So one day he'll vindicate us or whatever, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, and you know, in my not so analytical mind, I'm like, see, they had heavy metal songs. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> they had heavy metal well, like, songs. Just
1: like listen to the way the Book of Habakkuk starts. Uh, the prophet, mm-hmm. the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Habakkuk's complaint. This is how the the book starts. How right. long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen or cry out to you violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem is the righteous, so that justice is perverted. The the whole thing starts out with Habakkuk complaining, and he's complaining to God, right? He's expressing this emotion. And I'm like, this doesn't fit our traditional hymn mood. Like no. you, 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 don't turn that into, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit that. Right. And, mm-hmm. and here's the thing, even when we talk about protest, which is deeply embedded, um, within, within the, the, the prophecy and the Psalms is this protest of injustice. There's this is protest of, um, you know, systemic and humanitarian suffering. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I find interesting is that for all of the criticisms that we layer against rap and rock metal in the Mm -hmm. church. Those types of songs actually have a deep history in protesting injustice. Yes, right. they've been commodified and turned into something that they not necessarily what they originally intended to be, but oh. the roots of those styles of music are deeply embedded in a protest of injustice. I think of ah, uh, you know, there's that famous song I can't remember the name of it. It's a Metallica song, which basically a a, 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 a lamentation of the war of nuclear oh, yeah. war. Um, yeah, that's the song, it's a Popular uh, one. 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 That's right. Yeah. It's yes. a lamentation of of, of nuclear warfare war. yeah. and the injustice of war altogether. I think Vietnam was a deep yeah. um uh, backdrop in that song. And yes. and so, you know, it's it's amazing then because the styles of music we tend to look at and say, Oh, those are satanic actually captured the full spectrum of emotion of scripture way better than the ones we say are sacred. Right. And, and, and I'm like, an uh, we got something to wrestle with
0: there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, so I've often find myself finding the word rock kind of interesting. And this is, uh, this is a pun. This is a, this is not a scholarly point. It's a poetic point. But when mm-hmm. Jesus says like, if these children are silent, then the rocks themselves will cry out. I think when it mm-hmm. comes to existential questions of humanity, existential questions of spirituality, Again, mm-hmm. just inhabiting our full humanity, the church has gone silent and proverbially speaking, the rocks I mean the rock bands are crying out. Um, <laughs> no. yeah, no. yeah, absolutely, speaking man. That's rock, a really Rocky,
1: are you okay? You're okay, buddy? Is that My your dog's dog name is making Rocky? weird noises? Yeah, his uh, name is Rocky. Oh, okay. yeah. look at that. That's perfect. There he belongs <laughs> in this podcast. Put him on. Let's yes. get let's get his thoughts
0: I think about he's the rocks crying out. Train of thought.
1: Well, let me let me let me um, let me bring you back to train of thought by asking uh, one more question about music and this supposedly negative emotions. Um, Sexual fantasy. Oh, yeah. And the Song of Solomon. (laughs) The book, by the way, that if you were a Jewish kid growing up in a Jewish community, you were not allowed to read. Until you had basically gone through bar mitzvah, right? You were considered um, an adult. An adult. Uh, I'm not sure what the female equivalent of bar mitzvah is in, in Jewish culture. Is is there? Bat. Is there?
0: Maybe bat I think bat mitzvah. I I think that that might be. I've heard that before, but I'm also not okay. Jewish, so I couldn't tell you for certain. The point is that this is a book that Jewish communities
1: understood to be deeply sensual and right.
0: they wouldn't allow you to read it as a kid. That's the point. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things um, where it's like, it's pretty blatantly obvious if you just read it at face value, you're like, ah, that's an innuendo. That's barely mm-hmm. an innuendo. That's just the name of a body part. Like, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It's hard to <laughs> avoid it, you know? Yeah. So how do we square this with our typically
1: Victorian repressed sexual culture in oh, conservative Christianity? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I think is important is that we have to acknowledge that like repression is a factor at all. Um, hmm. And this is this is one of those things that I think is uh, and it's fascinating once you start digging into it, because there's just a bunch of layers. I'm I'm trying to pull up uh, a, a passage right now. OK. Song of Solomon, Chapter seven verses one to five okay maybe i'll Mm -hmm. read all of it maybe i'll kind of jump through okay how graceful are your feet in sandals O queenly maiden your rounded thighs are like jewels the work of a master hand your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies your two breasts are like two fawns twins of a gazelle your neck is like an ivory tower your eyes are pools in heshbon by the gate of bath rabim your your nose is like a tower of lebanon overlooking damascus your head crowns you like caramel and your flowing locks are like purple Uh, a king is held captive in the tresses okay so obviously it's a description of a woman obviously the the metaphors are not meant to be visual otherwise this is a bizarre looking person um you know like oh, Hebrew metaphor is clearly not working the same way English metaphor is. The reason I mentioned this passage is that um, I am not a huge fan, but I would you know, for a avowed metalhead, I'm a surprisingly <laughs> big fan of Rihanna. Just Rihanna's okay. great. I, I'm a I'm a big fan. I, I'll I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> I was watching the music video for the song Work. I don't know if you've seen it. Probably a lot of people. No, were, I'm not not a, not a not a Rihanna fan. No. Okay. Fair enough. I, you know,
1: I, it's just full disclosure. I'm more of a chill step guy. Oh. Okay. I'm, really, I'm really, I'm I'm totally into the chill step. You give me that vibe. Yeah. I yeah. Totally I'm, see I'm a chill it. step guy. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's good. Well, I, I respect
1: that. And John Mayer.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm I I respect John Mayer a lot as a songwriter, as a guitar player. Mm. Super good musician. Um, But in the music video for the song work, um, you get like 15 seconds in and you'll see what I'm talking about. Basically, right before she starts singing, they're in this like this venue. It's actually it was shot in Toronto. So I I literally know where this place is, Um, but it's shot in this venue that's like kind of restaurant, kind of nightclub. And the first shot is her like getting out of the car, walking in. And one of the establishing shots as she's just about to start actually singing the song is this this camera sweep from her feet, like very slowly up from her feet, up to her face. And then when it gets there, she starts singing, right? Obviously, you know, it's it's meant to be like provocative to the viewer, right? It's like, look at this beautiful woman, like every last detail. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, I mean, if you listen to like feminist film analysis they'll just be like oh yeah that camera move that the male gaze you know and you know respect to that perspective as well i think there's a lot that could be said there but it's just interesting to me that that camera sweep from feet to head is literally the structure of song of songs seven versus one to five it literally starts yeah at, yeah it literally starts yeah. at her feet and just says like I'm going to look you up from your feet all the way up to when I finally get to your eyes, right? And it's very deliberate. It stops at each body part along the way and describes it, right? That is that is not subtle. You know, mm-hmm. like that is like I'm looking at you and I'm looking at every inch of you. It's actually interesting. I don't I am not going to waste time by trying to find it, but if you go earlier in the Song of Songs, there is also a description of the man from the woman's perspective. And interestingly, it starts at his head, and I'm not sure if it actually ever does get to his feet. So um, (laughs) it stops a little before. Take from that what you will. Uh, But this is the thing. A lot of people are married, pun intended, to the allegorical um, interpretation of the Song of Solomon. You see where the pun comes from. Um, Mm -hmm. they're, They're married to this idea that like, oh, Song of Songs is primarily about the marriage between Yahweh and Israel and or Christ and the church. And that is the, um, that is the interpretation. That's, that's why this came to us is like God's love for us is like this. Well, I'm sorry. If my relationship to Jesus is anything like song of Solomon chapter eight, that means I'm a palm tree and my breasts are like it's clusters of fruits. And Jesus is going to climb me and grab my fruits which i yeah. don't think describes my relationship with jesus at all you yeah. know and it really when you get well, to well i think point, i think the reason why we lean
1: yourself, I'll, sorry, i was just just to jump in real quick and the no, reason why it. we tend to lean heavily toward the allegorical interpretation is because it's uncomfortable to assume the more obvious interpretation when you are operating from uh, an ethic that again, going back to the whole spectrum of emotion, denying certain emotions. Um, if you're op- operating off of philosophical assumptions that date back to Augustine or Greek philosophy, where, you know, you see the body as something that's inherently dirty or sex yep. as something that's inherently dirty, um, or you're operating off of sort of re- repressed uh, prudish attitudes or Victorian attitudes. Um, it's. I think it's a lot easier to say, oh, this is an allegory. Uh, spiritualize it than to read it and be like, as the Jews would and be like, yeah, this is definitely about sex. So uh, you can't read yeah. it until you're an adult kids. This one's off limits, you
0: know? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. There's this hilarious meme that <laughs> I don't know. It really, it probably won't register in describing it, but basically um, it's a photo of like a woman's eyes and her, her face are, is like kind of behind a veil. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's text in two different places inverted. So there's normal text and then upside down text um Hmm. and the normal text says me reading the song of songs as a kid and the way the eyes are positioned in the photo it's like um kind of horrified right like the the whites (laughs) above the pupils are showing it's like oh oh dear me and then in order to read the bottom text which is upside down you have to flip it the picture upside Hmm. down and it says me reading song of songs as an adult and this time it's it's flipped so the whites of the eyes are like below the pupil and it's kind of like bedroom eyes and sensual (laughs) Um, and so it's just like oh that's that's really clever right you uh, you'll probably people just have to try to google that song of solomon meme but it's 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 a clever way of just being like yeah as a kid you're like eyeball and i think if you are a serious Bible student and like mature enough adults as a, you know, lifelong Christian, you can come back to the Song of Songs and be like, I'm glad, I'm so glad this is in the Bible. Like, thank <laughs> God this is in the Bible, you know, like, yeah, cool. We're all well, here. We all feel this, you know,
1: that's right. Yeah. And here's what I think at the very least, Um, because obviously the the theme of, um, you know, how the church has historically framed the conversation on sexuality and how we relate to that again going back to some of these philosophical assumptions that dehumanize or or demonize the body the physical pleasure etc um it's is is almost in and of itself like an entirely separate series there's a lot to unpack there there's oh, a lot yeah. to unravel there but at the very least the way I process this in terms of like when we think about the the worship wars is that it's it's just another affirmation that in scripture, the full spectrum of the human experience is is embraced it, it it's right. not repressed it's it's not tucked away there isn't like you know oh if if you know if your song is like a nice little ballad on a piano it's sacred and if it's got some anger and some drums in it it's evil um like right. there's there's clearly in scripture an embrace that says look what it means to be human the full expression of what it means to be human um there is Sacredness within that can it be perverted? Of course, I don't think anyone's debating that. But sure, of course. But does it need to be repressed? No. Mm-hmm. There, there's a healthy way of of approaching this. There's a healthy way of expressing this. There's a healthy way of celebrating this, where rather than relying on the the filters of particular high cultures within our history within eurocentrism or anglocentrism um we can actually go back to scripture and say look we can actually rethink the worship experience based on scripture as something that can embrace the full spectrum of human experience in a healthy yeah. redemptive uh beautiful way and yeah. we don't have to constrain ourselves Um, or feel that it's unholy to express ourselves outside of the bounds given to us by a particular cultural expression that does not come from the Bible. It comes from human culture, you know? So that's at the very least like a takeaway for me. It's like, you know, we can, based on scripture, liberate ourselves from those uh, super constrained and (laughs) narrow expressions. Of, yeah. of worship and appreciation and lamentation and protest, all of those things can be a part of, of what it means to celebrate God in our lives. Um, yeah. And that can be expressed in a, in a multi-genre way and uh, yeah. in a multivariate way. That that is not just like you need to have a harp in and a, and a piano and that's it. You know, I mean, I, I know nobody's going that far, but I'm I'm being hyperbolic to make a point here. Max. I think there are some
0: people <laughs> who do go that far. I, I would there say probably are, there are some yeah. people who probably go that far. But no, I think that's a really good way to, to put it, to summarize it. Um, yeah. Are we wrapping up here? Or are we doing more on this one? Oh, it's up to you, man. It's up to you if you want to explore up. a few more. There's a couple of things that have come up that I'd li- I'd like to touch on, and this might feel kind of like speed round ish, but I'll try to be brief. because I know I, I know I can be long winded, and <laughs> you know we we've both gone on like essays during this thing, right? So <laughs> are Canadians well, when, like Americans? Like you just
1: you, when someone asks you a question, you just you have a big response because Australians aren't like that.
0: No, no, we tend to be a little more reserved, honestly. Okay. Like Canadians. Who are like going to the States for the first time are sometimes like frightened by like retail workers. (laughs) Just like, oh my gosh, like I think I just met my best friend. No, it's just like everyone has to be like this, and just like (laughs) talking to you. Like Canadians, part of the Canadian politeness is kind of like staying out of people's way. Yeah. So like, yeah. We're, we're not as like boisterous as Americans, yeah. which is, yeah. it's interesting because from a certain point of view, it almost makes Americans seem like they're more outgoing, more sociable, mm. more friendly, which is supposed yep. to be the Canadian stereotype. But like our, our stereotype is really like politeness and it mm. tends to be, I think it comes across to Americans as almost cold sometimes. Cause we're just like, Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yep. We we apologize. Well, I, for I, everything. I, I had to
1: I had to learn that here in Australia because like here in Australia, if someone asks me, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you my my whole life. You know, oh yeah, you know, I'm, this happened and that happened and blah blah blah. And I, I keep getting these Australians just kind of staring at me with half dead eyes, and I'm like, "What's going on?" And then uh, you yeah. know, it's interesting because eventually I realized when you ask an Australian, like if an Australian asks an American how they're doing, they'll get a whole story, possibly even a Brit. But if they if an Australian asks an Australian and how they're doing yeah good right that's it it's over
0: you know yeah exactly I had to Canadians learn to, to turn like my uh,
1: yeah yeah I had to learn to turn my um American brain off a bit when people ask me how I'm going yeah good
0: right. that's <laughs> anyway funny. okay so you wanted to touch on a few more things go for it yeah so one of the things that will come up with this inevitably when we talk about the the negative emotions thing right is like okay cool thanks for the the history lesson and the style lesson about the lamentations and the blah, 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 whatever. Please tell me how in the world I'm supposed to incorporate that into my local church. Right? Like, please tell me how is that supposed to be incorporated into a local church worship context? Because like, hate to break it to you, but none of us are rappers. None of us are metal singers. And hate to say it. None of us can dance. So what do you want me to do? And, and that's that, I think that's a very fair thing for people to raise and also when it comes to some of the things we're talking about people will maybe say like oh okay so you just want us to start like throwing in songs about like out out of control rage and like baby head smashing and like war in our is that what you want is that what you want and like there's two things i would say i would be like one if it's an american asking me that i'd be like well just make sure you keep the national anthem and the flag far away from your sacred space uh if you can do that for me we'll be off to a great start and try not to do anything in your church service that like glorifies the military for some reason you psychos but um <laughs> that of course is just my opinion but you know also babylon has fallen but anyways um <laughs> i i would say to the very practical question one um we need to take some cues from our more (laughs) liturgical brethren uh, in other denominations and just like read the Psalms in our church services, you know, like that wouldn't be that difficult for us to do is to incorporate the reading of the Psalms or even responsive readings of the Psalms, recitation of memorized Psalms, like, goodness me, we could do better with, like, corporate memorization and recitation of scripture. Like, there's nothing, un- it's deeply biblical to do that. But, like, why is that not a part of our church services? Um, N.T. Wright has this phenomenal book. Uh, it's a very tiny little book, but it's called The Case for the Psalms. And it's just his uh whole thing on, like, why Christians desperately need to get back into the language of the Psalms. Um, mm. And and using them as a vehicle to express ourselves because I think if anything the Psalter and the, the scripture overall can teach us how to inhabit our emotions better and I get mm. the sneaking suspicion that many of our people are not living in those texts as much as they could be and I, I really do yeah. think that the Bible can reacquaint us with our humanity if we've been disconnected from it so mm. my first tip is like y'all get back in scripture and let's engage scripture corporately don't just yell at people to read it when they go home like no we're all here let's actually read it together you know Mm. um so there's that actually now that i think about it uh, to to bring back nt Wright, um he I, i listened to an audiobook that he narrated himself um last year it was called god and the pandemic highly recommend it great Reflections on COVID-19 by N.T. Wright and where (laughs) is God in the midst of all of this. And Hmm. one of the things that he brought up, he was like, the church loves to uphold its brand and wants to rush to the explaining side of things and the evangelistic side of things. And he's like, we, I mean, these are not his exact words, but we essentially shoot our credibility as human beings in the foot if we bypass the absolutely necessary step of lamentation. If, if the church does not know how to weep with those who weep, then we don't have a witness for the world, right? And I think coming out of this ongoing situation with the, the global pandemic, there are lots of people who have died. There are people who haven't died or known someone who died, but their lifestyle has been completely upset and upended. And there's a lot of mental anguish and stress and anxiety that comes with that. Like everyone has been affected by this, literally everyone pretty much everyone, I shouldn't say there's, I'm sure there's something I don't know about, but you know what I mean, right? The, The whole world has been affected by this. And if the church can't lead the way in knowing how to grieve well, and really pour everything out on the altar, you know, what, what do we have to give to people? If we don't know how to be, if we don't know how to be the hired mourners, who come and make it okay for everyone else to cry, you know, it's, I mean, that's a thing we we could touch on too. People will say these things about emotion, like, "Oh, the lights and the smoke machines and the amplifications—it's all emotional manipulation to make you feel something that's not real." I'm mean, like, "Okay, well, first of all, like, feelings in a certain sense are all not real. Like, they're all wildly subjective. You know what I mean? Like, that's, but like, okay." go back to the Bible. When a funeral happens, they literally paid women to come and wail and scream to set the tone for the funeral and for everyone else to do the same. Like they were professional criers. Like where do you fit that into the mix of things? Or like here, I mean, here's one for you. The smoke machine is emotionally manipulative. The light show is emotionally manipulative the crescendo and decrescendo of the volume of the music is emotionally manipulative? Okay, maybe I'll grant that. But you tell me something about walking up to the religious building with a cute little lamb, putting your hand on its head, admitting everything you've done wrong in the past month, and then watching it bleed out from its throat. Like, you're going to tell me about a smoke machine after that? You, you, or are you going to say, like, you have to watch your pet die You have to watch a baby animal bleed out and get its blood drained into a bucket that the priest is now going to go throw at God's room. Like, Mm, hmm. what do you you, like? This is the thing when you start the conversation about worship. Well, what is worship? Well, in a certain Old Testament context, worship is slitting the throats of animals and throwing their blood at the walls. So Mm. you tell me what's extreme, you know? Like clearly, God was willing to give people a sensory experience.
1: Absolutely, and and the thing that I often say to that is that it those kinds of statements assume that only contemporary worship has elements in it that push the emotional buttons. Right. Um, and so but even co- very conservative churches do, you know, like I could make the argument that, um, you know, in the same way that some people argue that the excitement of the drums and the loud band creates a false sense of the Holy Spirit. I, I could make the same argument about the um uh the stained glass window. Traditional, yeah, I could the stained glass window, the traditional architecture of our churches, um the way we dress creates a false emotional sense of sacredness. Um right. you know, the the way we the way we uh, hush and only whisper when we're in the, you know, what we term the sanctuary creates a false sense. You know, like all these things even traditional Hymns, right? Like a yeah. traditional hymn is generally slow and somber and reserved. Not always. There's some upbeat ones, but generally somber and reserved. Um, and that creates a false sense of reverence.
0: Or at least all a doing is, solemnity.
1: Yeah. It's all it's doing is pushing the emotional buttons that make you feel reverent. Right. But you're not really, right? And so the argument can go both ways. And I think the problem is that there's Absolutely nothing wrong with a sensory experience that triggers emotional responses. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Is there a way to go overboard with it and become manipulative and and sleazy? Of course, you know. Of course, um, illusionists and mentalists do it all the time. I mean, they do it for entertainment purposes, but they do create scenarios that are hyper suggestive, you know, in order to 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 get their way. And I am not a fan of like the hyper charismatic worship experiences where people are essentially being hypnotized like and that's not what I'm advocating yeah. for either but right the notion that the the, the the notion that traditional worship music creates an authentic experience before God and contemporary worship music creates a false experience before God is really just a, a, a another manifestation of that inability to experience the full spectrum of emotion, because what we're essentially saying is the emotional response that traditional hymns elicit um, is the emotions that are approved of in the spectrum. Right. Right. And so that's okay, right? Right. But when you go to the emotions that are not approved of—excitement, and joy, and happiness, and you know, um, you know, enthusiasm—and or, or maybe even um, you know, depression, uh, depression or anger. Like those aren't approved of. So anything that creates that is, you know, it's evil. Um, I I think it goes back to that Anglo Eurocentrism or at least the heavily filtered approach that we have to that. Um, And then when that trickles down into how we relate to people around us, again, what it ultimately ultimately manifests as is a community of people who can't inhabit the spectrum of human emotion. And so Mm -hmm. what do we look like to a secular post-church world that we're trying to reach? We just look like a bunch of fake people. That's what we look like. And that's never going to be effective in discipling people who inhabit a world that although is certainly far from God is in many ways infinitely more authentic than these synthetic experiences or, or communities that we've created through the denial yeah. of the spectrum of human emotion. Yeah,
0: and I think that denial, thank is you for also... coming to my TED talk. No, dude is great. <laughs> and you're, you're saying things that I want to say, right? So it, it one way or another, the points are coming across. Well, we go. The, the point you raised, that that denial of the human, the holistic human self is bad for our homegrown Adventist people too, right? It, it It fails us in terms of integrating our whole selves spiritually, right? And so if we're asking the practical question still, like how does this affect our local worship at all? Well, our local worship is corporate worship, sure, but it's also what you listen to on the way to work or on your commute to school or when you're doing the dishes, right? It's your own private devotional time. It's your own private listening habits, right? The worship debate and the, the way it overlaps with the music debate, since they're not it's one and the same, they're just related is also part of the censorship of what people are allowed to privately consume. And if, if you believe that there are certain quite frankly, normal and undeniable parts of yourself as a human being that are just straightforwardly not approved of by God, your sadness, your anger, your extreme joy, your arousal. If those things are just like not to ever appear before God, what you run the risk of is, you know, compartmentalized spirituality. And that will be bad for the development of the believer that will I mean, literally you section yourself into boxes. And you end up having to sing, I surrender some, you know, uh, and that's, there we not go. Bro. Rubber, you know? it's, <laughs> yeah, and it's well interesting said. because people will say like, well, if you do listen to these kinds of music, then you're not surrendering everything to Jesus. And I would counter that and say, actually, um, mm-hmm. if you don't engage with the fullness of humanity, then there are parts of yourself that you're not even going to know are there to be surrendered. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you've mm-hmm. never engaged with yeah. your full potential for anger and violence. You've mm-hmm. never engaged with the deepest parts of your anguish and depression. You've yeah. never acknowledged your sexuality. So how mm. can you how can you say you've handed those things over to God when you yourself have never looked at them, mm. right? I'm yeah. not saying you have to go become like a metalhead or you have to go like shake your booty as hard as you can at the next dance hall party or whatever, but you you need to find the ways where you can explore those parts of yourself in a healthy way that doesn't compromise mm. your values. Right. Yeah. Because at the end otherwise you do end up compartmentalized, which is I think right. a huge problem for a lot of people. Mm. absolutely yeah one of one of the biggest struggles my wife has
1: had because my wife wasn't raised in church um she she's she's australian and grew up quite secular um Mm -hmm. she did have some family that was in the church but uh, she wasn't really raised in the church and she attended here and there very sporadically um she's Mm -hmm. by and large a secular person And one of the struggles she's always had since she had a really deep experience, conversion experience with God that actually led her to say, look, I need to follow Jesus. And Mm -hmm. the only thing that she was familiar with is in terms of church was um, what she it was the only thing that was available to her in terms of like, okay, I'll go to that church because the only one I know exists. Right. And it and it turned out to be quite a traditional um, Adventist church. But then she also attended more contemporary ones. And the thing that she struggled with from day one, even to this day, is she's always felt that um, Christians, uh, at least in the Adventist, you know, sort of ecosystem that she's familiar with, um, there's always some sort of a wall. There's always a wall. There's always it's, it's all you know, like, and the way she expresses is, you know, like when she was hanging out with all her secular friends and partying. Um, for all the negative things that come from that scenario and that experience, the one thing she can't take away was how authentic her friends were and how open they were and how you could just really be human with each other. But in the church, it's almost like there's this script that we're all trying to ascertain to, and it's, it's a phony script, um, yeah. And I can't be authentic with you. And I can't be honest with you. And there's parts of my humanity that I have to hide. And maybe it's not that I have to hide it um, in in a sort of a conscious sense. Like I'm not sitting here saying, well, here's parts of my humanity. I'm not going to show you. But because we've inhabited this mood that you and I are discussing, we've inhabited this, this system of thinking and being within the church. There are aspects of humanity, our own humanity that we've never even touched on and so when we engage with a person who has touched on all that all they see is phoniness and all they see is like there's walls here like there's for some reason i just can't be human with you like what the heck is you know like and 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 so this is an experience i think a lot of secular people have when they come to church and they see the script at play you know and 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 the you know the sort of the the, there's a there's a there's a holy there's a sacred god voice you know um and I used to do, man, if you listen to, I can't listen to any of like my really old sermons because every time I got up to preach, I, I would flip from talking like a human being to using the sacred God voice in my oh, sermons, yes. brothers and sisters, you know, it's like, it was all an act, you know, it was right. like, nobody talks like that. And I never talked like that, but for some reason on the stage, I had to put the sacred God voice on, you know, so all of these right. things for us, they're normal, Right. um, And then when someone steps in from the outside, they're like, wow, this is weird and fake and cultish and bizarre. And yeah, no, no thanks. And that's a problem in mission in in a post-church age um, where people are even more sensitive to those types of things. Uh, I think we have a lot of deconstructing to do. Um, in order to emerge and and look ultimately you know just go to to go back to your question about like oh so what do churches do practically in terms of like their worship space um i i don't know i mean i'm not sure that that's necessarily something there's a formula for some churches may continue to sing hymns and it could be just a practical thing like one of the churches i pastor nobody there knows modern songs and no one there really knows how to play instruments so it's like they're just going to play hymns like that's what that's what they do you know um right. but i think if we can change our mindset Mm-hmm. And and if we can change our approach to culture and our approach to diversity, even though we may not practically be able to change things, at least not right away in, in, in terms of our own local communities, the change in mindset, the change in philosophy, the change in our approach to cultural diversity mm-hmm. will itself begin to nurture a more authentic experience within our interpersonal relationships and with how we relate to people who are different to us. And I think that's much more important than, oh, I heard this series by Max and Marcus, so let's go throw in some Hillsong. Like, that's not really the point. It's so much, much deeper than that. That's it for today, everyone. We are out of time, but if you tune in next week, this is going to continue for quite a few episodes, so make sure you keep tuning in. Like, share, subscribe, tell your friends about it, and uh, enjoy the journey along with us. In the meantime, if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, I invite you to go to the thestorychurchproject.com and check out the new Bible study guide, the road a journey through the narrative of scripture the second edition is now available and this is a bible study set that's been specifically designed for communicating the narrative of redemption the story of scripture to millennials zeds uh, post-church unchurched postmodern generations make sure you check that out get your hands on a copy and i will catch you next week